This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. I'm Lily Chai. It is undeniable that tertiary education does provide benefits not only to a student, but the society as a whole. But proper education is important in breaking the poverty cycle and is able to transform lives. But is tertiary education accessible to Malaysian SPM graduates in Malaysia? We speak to Aida Tian, co-founder of Closing the Gap Malaysia and the acting CEO of Tunku Abdul Rahman Foundation as she aims to close the gap towards fair quality university access for all. Welcome to the show, Aida. Thanks for having me. Right. Tell us who you are and what your role is in CTG. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my name is Aida. I am one of the four uh, co-founders of Closing the Gap. We started this in 2016, actually. And actually for Closing the Gap, so we started out as a program incubated under Teach for Malaysia, where I also used to work. So I was in uh, TFM for about three years, and that's where we co-founded Closing the Gap. And that's how I made the, the jump, in a sense, to do Closing the Gap full-time after that for two years before uh, the Tunku Abdurrahman Foundation. Then also uh, we hired the team into the foundation to expand our work in higher education. So now me and my team, we, we, we not only oversee Closing the Gap as a program, we also oversee scholarships for students uh, to pursue higher education and various other programs to empower primarily underrepresented youth uh, to pursue and pursue their dreams as well as beat uh, beat the odds Mm. yeah I oversee my team. My team does all the great stuff on, on the ground. Um, my role, I would see it as more of supporting the team. But I would say at the same time, a primary function that I have is also to fundraise. Uh, we do a lot of fundraising and securing partnership, not only for the Closing the Gap program, but as well as our scholarships. So in the foundation is very small compared to many other foundations outside. Uh, so we are able to give about maybe 20 to 25 scholarships a year. Uh, but we want to increase that and we want to give and, and and impact more students outside. And so a lot of what we do is about expanding that through fundraising and through closing the gap as well as to make sure that we can have uh, the program expanded to more students in Klang Valley as well as hopefully in Malaysia as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you said, right, the gap that you're trying mm. to bridge is to help high achieving yet underrepresented yep. or disadvantaged students to go to quality universities. Can you elaborate on what the problem and what the gap is on the mm. ground? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I think maybe I can share a bit about how we begin uh, closing the gap. Uh, it didn't really start off with the four of us just deciding, oh, let's let's start something. Um, one of my co-founders, so three, actually no, three of my co-founders, they were all Teach for Malaysia alumni, meaning they did the fellowship. So they taught in school for two years. Uh, so one of them, Brian, uh, my co-founder, he actually had a student uh, that he introduced me to. So it was more of like a very serendipitous uh, sort of like meeting. And his student was a, was a from six student or rather she, he finished from six to, uh, from six already. And he actually did really well in school, right? So he got, I think he got like a 3.75 CGPA, uh, which I think if you know about how 
ridiculously hard as TPM is, that's actually a really big achievement. And but because of the background he comes from, uh, his mom is the main breadwinner, he's a babysitter, uh, family have not gone to university before. And although he had that goal, like I think he wasn't able to access public university education because he didn't get the course that he wanted. Um, and so at the time, I think he, with the limited knowledge that he had, he didn't quite understand if there were any other options or plan B for himself. Uh, so at the time, although he, he did some amazing stuff at home, so he's from Kapar in, in uh, near Klang as well. And he was actually going to be like a bakute stall manager, mm-hmm. which is really cool at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. But I think at the time his thought was, okay, I need to take a gap year in a sense. I need to work and then figure out later, how do I afford education? So I think for us, maybe for many of us as well, I think in Klang Valley, you would assume, oh, you do really well in school. Surely there's a lot of options for you. Lah. It's not really true. And so for him as well, it was a whole year process for a few of us to figure out how do we support him in one, planning for an alternative, like there is an alternative if your plan A doesn't work. Two is how do you fund your alternative, which may include scholarships. But again, scholarship can be a a rig feel. You would think that it, it must be a fair uh, playing field for everybody with good grades, but it's not. Because a lot of times in the process of applying for scholarship, um, things like interviews, things like uh, your CV, these are things we take for granted that it represents a lot of cultural capital that students like uh, like the student that my, my co-founder had um, did not have. So you want to talk about the sort of factors that may lead to the gap that we speak about. There are many. Fundamentally, it is rooted in poverty. It is rooted in lack of exposure. That many, many times the students that we work with have the capability and the potential to go far, but a lot of times are held back, for example, by communities where they may not think uh, that higher education is important or sometimes just require the student or the, or the child to stay back and work. Um, a lot of times it's also about the limited horizon exposure that you get, t- simply because nobody in the community may have gone to university before. And of course, a lot of it, the other thing that we need to pay attention to is also uh, the social, emotional or the self-esteem aspect for students from low-income backgrounds. And I think although these things can sound quote-unquote very soft, they are very powerful determinant actually whether or not you succeed for uh, whether or not you know your options, whether or not you feel confident to pursue your option and whether or not you can succeed in it. A lot of them have much to do uh, with your self-esteem and the community support and the mentors that you get versus your own capability, your own ability to pursue a particular course, actually. Yeah. Mm. Do you think that um, most of the students who came to you, mm. right, who have come to you um, to talk about what they want to pursue like they want to pursue a university but Mm. the factor that is holding them back is financial Mm. constraints would Mm. you say that that is like the the most common problem that students have okay so when when students when we reach out to students and students come to us and say like oh these are my problems you are right that usually the first problem they mention is financial but i think as we started doing the program we realized that that is only a symptom of something deeper because we realized that even if we showed them financial options, uh, they would still feel resistant mm. to pursue them. And we realized fundamentally, I think as I shared just now, the real root problem, I would say, is more of like a self-limiting belief. Uh, this can be uh, because of your own upbringing. This can be because of your community. But having the set idea that because I am 
A or my community is A, I must pursue A. So even if I were to put, to give you another uh, possibility to entertain, you don't feel like you deserve to do so or you don't feel like you're good enough to do so. And why do I say this? We've had students who did incredibly well and then said, oh, I don't have a scholarship, right? So I'm like, okay, we'll help you pursue one. And then we managed to get them short. One of a student that we had, uh, she was actually shortlisted for a scholarship uh, to pursue, I think, A-levels in one of the really, really good um, private schools in, in Malaysia. It was a full scholarship run. Um, and on the day of, I think after she, she she called us and she told us, oh, actually, I got I got shortlisted for it. And we were like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. Like, like, it doesn't matter even if you get it or not. This is a this is a door that's open to you. Just give it a shot. But then he she actually came back and told us, no, I'm not I'm not interested in in pursuing it. And of course we were surprised lah, because many people would think you said you had problems with finances. Mm-hmm. This is a scholarship opportunity. Why are you not even giving it a shot? And then what she shared was something I realized a lot of us really took for granted. So number one is her sharing that I don't think I can fit in into this school because this school will be filled with rich kids and I don't think I can fit in, right? So I think that represents two problems. One is whether or not you think that you're capable of achieving it. I think that's one. So that's where uh, confidence come in. The other part also is that when we tell students, especially students from underrepresented background to aspire for more, not enough is also being done to see whether or not they feel like they can fit in when they have achieved their goals. A lot of times there is a lot more gap between achieving it and accessing it and actually thriving in it. Mm. And I think a lot of students, when, when, when a student told us that, I think we realised therefore that another important element is actually getting students to feel like this is not just a goal that I can achieve, but this is a goal that belongs to me. And I think that's something that a lot of time holds students back versus just financial problems because right. financial problems are the easiest to solve. Right. So what have you and Closing the Gap done mm. to address issues like the self-esteem and the confidence problem? Sure. So in our Closing the Gap program, we primarily focus on three things. So the, the most fundamental, I think a lot of programs out there do it as well. It's focusing on skills and knowledge, right? So the idea when we say knowledge, it's I, I don't know about you, but in school, a lot of times in we had this idea that, oh, you just study la, and you yeah. do SPM. And then after SPM, you just go to university or wherever. You will figure it out. Yes. But that's not how it works. And although we have counsellors in school, a lot of times either due to unawareness or something else, we don't actually go to our counsellors and go like, hey, I actually don't know what to do after Form 5. Can you help me with it? Nor do we have a proper process or system to support students to do it. And so what you have are students just completely lost and then they may just follow the crowd or they may just have no idea how to navigate after Form 5 because suddenly you're taken out of a very structured mm. education system and they're asking you now at 17, figure it out when they have told you, it's all right for the last 17 years, you'll figure it out eventually, but you have not. So we feel that it was important to give people the knowledge so that they can make adequate plans around it. The reason why, therefore, on a second level, why we focus on skills is that Skills, for example, like communication skills, planning skills, um, negotiation skills, critical thinking skills are all skills we know will be relevant uh, for you to thrive and succeed, not just in higher education, just in education, but in society in general. But a lot of times our students are not exposed to these areas, right? Um, A lot of times these are what we call cultural capital as well. Simply, for example, for me and you to sit down to be able to discuss about politics in Malaysia or the ability to discuss about the Ukraine or the Russian war 
all of these are things that we think that everyone should do, but a lot of times students do not have the exposure mm. to it. So we try to also have workshops and, and camps to get people to engage with these skills of how do you communicate? How do you have discussions with people? Um, how do you form your own opinions about things in the world? Because you will be expected to form your own opinions when you go into university. But I would say the third thing that we focus on is probably the most important, which is mindset. So one of the things that we always ground our programs in is the idea of growth mindset. And growth mindset is the idea that you are not born with talent. Uh, these are things that your, your brain is actually, well, I think the word is neuroplastic, I think. So it is flexible, it can grow. And But students need to feel like they're able to grow or they want to have the ability to give it a shot. Uh, so a lot of our program focuses on that. How do you get students to get out of their comfort zone, try something new? build that confidence in the process but another thing that we try to do as well is to have mentors so we work with young professionals or, or, or even final year university students ideally if they come from similar backgrounds as our students to come in and become sort of like a role model to them and the importance of that is to show them that hey I was just like you before but I have made it and you can do too Mm. Yeah. All right. I do want to talk about, you know, how many students you have helped mm. over the years and how do you speak to schools mm. uh, about that? All right. Uh, but it's time for some messages, but don't go anywhere. I'm here with Aida Tian, the co-founder of Closing the Gap Malaysia and the acting CEO of Tunku Abdul Rahman Foundation, as she shares how she closes the gap towards fair quality university access for all. This is Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Her Vantage here in BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here in the studio with Aida Tian, who is the co-founder of Closing the Gap Malaysia and the acting CEO of Tunggu Abdul Rahman Foundation, as she shares how she closes the gap towards fair quality university access for all students in Malaysia. Now, before the break, we were talking about how, why she founded the organization and the problems surrounding uh, university access. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, your your website. It stated mm. that you have helped 172 students to date mm. and you have worked with 18 students, uh, 18 schools as mm. well. Mm. Uh, you also, just now you mentioned that you are able to help, you know, 20 to 25 students per year. Mm. I'm wondering how many applications do you receive mm. each year? Yeah, I think to clarify, our website is actually being updated right now. <laughs> so, uh, so actually we've been working with more about close to 300 students uh, across, uh, I think, 60 to 80 schools across Malaysia. Um, and at the same time, uh, in terms of working with 20, 20 to 25 students, that's through our scholarship, through closing the gap, actually, we work with around 50 to 70 students per batch. Um, so in terms of the applications we get, so we don't, we, we, we don't do open applications. Number one is because actually it's quite hard to do open applications and advertise it to students over, for example, Facebook or Instagram or social media. It's not allowed to advertise to students uh, below 18 uh, for their safety. So, but the other part as well is because we strongly believe in teachers. 
So we go to schools. Uh, what we do is we try to identify schools that primarily serve underrepresented areas. Um, and then we go to the school. We speak to either their counsellors or any teachers who's interested to be what we call a lead teacher. Mm. And we work with the lead teacher to tell her, to, to inform and to, to guide her or him to tell her, okay, this is the stu- these are the sort of students that we are looking for. Could you help identify them for us? And so the teacher would go into the school and look for the students. And then the students would then apply and indicate interest with us. And we, although there is an application process, I would say that the threshold to pass to our second stage or our interview is actually quite low. What we are fundamentally looking for is just one, a student with a desire to improve themselves and two, a student with the grit to keep at it. And so this is what we fundamentally tell, tell teachers to look for. We do look at grades, but the only reason why we have grades is because uh, unfortunately we still work with, within a system where at a university or pre-university level, your academic achievement still matters. And so we, however, are not a tuition centre. So we are not able to support them with the academic side. We can only support on a non-academic complementary aspect. But what we have agreed as well as a team is that academic requirements are not fixed. So we look at it from a sliding scale. Of course, if you have strong academic criteria, then great. But if you do not, they will not actually shut the, we will not shut the door uh, on you and we'll look at other aspects. For example, like your grit and your desire to improve yourself. And there are always other options anyway beyond the traditional university pathways that you may fit in for as long as you're able to commit into our program. Because our program does require commitment. We are a two-year program. Um, so there's no such thing as a one-off workshop that you come for. Uh, that's something that we really believe in. So even though we only work with 300 students in the last five years, and I know it's a small number, uh, we're very proud of it because we work on depth. Uh, we don't believe in going out and doing one-off programs because um, we don't think that's supportive when you look at the natural process, the very slow process of figuring out who you are and what you want to do. That takes time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned how many schools, 60 to 80 yeah. schools. Yeah. Where are these schools from and how do you talk to them to get sure. on board? Yeah. So fundamentally, we work with students in the Klang Valley area. So that will be our main base for our main program. But during the pandemic, we were able to pursue and explore virtual programs because now schools or students are forced uh, to get used to the virtual environment as well. So through that, then we were able to then expand and we started writing virtual programs specifically for students outside of the Klang Valley. Because personally, I'm from Sarawak, so I've always known that eventually we want to be able to support students outside. And I have personally felt how it was like to be like sort of limited in your exposure just because of where you're born in. Although I'm very privileged compared to many students out there and I'm still able to navigate and have the opportunities I have now, even then I've also felt that as a person growing up in Sarawak. Um, so we were very excited actually to be able to bring in a small number of students from outside of Klang Valley to be able to come into the program. So uh, therefore beyond that, we have worked with students from Sabah, from Sarawak, um, from Penang. So most of the main states in Malaysia, we have worked with students from that area. But one thing we're trying to do a bit further in the future, because now that actually the appetite for virtual program has sort of reduced, um, is that we're trying to see how we can get people who are interested to run Closing the Gap on their own to run it in their own state. So I don't know if this is like a PSA out there, but if there's anybody who's willing to run like or is interested to run a two-year mentoring program, either if you're a university looking to adopt a school nearby or you are an alumni of your school and you think your school have had many students from underrepresented background who don't have the support, our program is actually 
easily run uh, in schools and we're very keen to see how we can support more people to be doing that in their own states as well. Mm. How about schools? Mm. Who, what schools do you talk to? Mm. Uh, are they private schools? Are they schools only in Malaysia or international sure. schools as well? Uh, we only work with uh, public schools and fundamentally because we only serve underrepresented students. But fundamentally, we look at look, uh, supporting students from the B40 background. Mm. So I would say the B40 students make up 80% of the students we work with. Right. We do bring a minority of M40 students as well. If we believe that, for example, you could come from an M40 background and still not have the exposure, especially if your parents never gone to university or never gone far, then that's also quite a limited horizon mm. for you. So we do bring in some students from the M40 background as well into our program. And therefore, naturally, these students tend to go to public schools mm. and we do not work with private or international schools as well. Right. How yeah. about the universities that you help mm. them, uh, help these uh, SBM graduates apply to then? Mm. Are they... Um, Public universities in Malaysia or the private universities, what are they? Sure. Uh, we basically work with them with whatever they want to do. So this is anywhere between wanting to do a vocational course locally, wanting to do an alternative 42KL Ford School sort of like programming program if you want to, uh, to public universities, uh, private universities, as well as overseas. So currently we have uh, we uh, we have about one student who is in Stanford uh, in, in, in the US, but I would say the majority of students would be anywhere between public to private universities locally because they tend to be the easiest in securing scholarships. Um, I would say one of the other methods that we work on is we try to work with local uh, colleges. And by colleges, I also include private schools that offer scholarships for students to pursue, let's say, A-levels um, or OSMED or any sort of pre-university qualification. We also work with them to, and we partner with them to see how we can channel some of our students through some of these courses. Because a lot of times for us as well, we realize our program cannot replace a meaningful and more um, all-encompassing system that can support you to achieve your higher education goals, especially if your higher education goal is something like Stanford. Uh, it's, it's tough. But I also want to be clear that we do not believe in the idea that there is a best school out there. So we don't think, for example, all of our students should go to Stanford. There's no such thing. There is no premium on Stanford. There is a premium on Stanford insofar as Stanford as a goal is typically very hard for students that we work with to achieve. And so that is something that we are very proud of, but we're equally proud of our students who then figure out, okay, actually I want to do programming and I just want to do a six months course in, let's say, Ford School or wherever and, and I want to go and become a programmer after that. Mm. And we think that's equally a courageous option as well. Yeah. Right. So basically, essentially what you're doing is you provide programs to help uh, mm. them sharpen their skills, right? Mm. But not essentially providing them scholarships or anything, but it's for them to help them obtain those scholarships that mm. are out there, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. right. So um, so you work with Tunku Abdul Rahman Foundation, yes. right? What is the link between that uh, between that foundation and Closing the Gap? Mm. That's, a, that's a great question. We get asked a lot because there's a lot of confusion around it. Um, so we, I, when we, we ran Closing the Gap at the time quite independently up to about 2019 was when we were actually acquired as a team. So the foundation wanted to revamp its direction. So the Tunku Abdul Rahman Foundation is a statutory body. It has been around since the 60s. 
people who had literally set up an act of parliament. Um, but uh, at the time, they wanted to refresh its direction. So previously, the majority of the assistance that the foundation gave were in loans and financial assistance, but not so much on this empowerment or working directly with students, especially students from this sort of profile. So we were brought in because of our experience in closing the gap. And at the time, I remember with my co-founder and I as well, we were thinking about how even for closing the gap five or 10 years down the road, we thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice for us to have our own scholarship? And because we just felt like a lot of the scholarships out there um, do not have the level playing field for students from our background, even though they have equally or even more potential uh, than what we usually think. And so that's why it felt like a natural transition for us to work in, go into the foundation. And so what we do is that Closing the Gap then becomes our pre-university program that supports students 16 to 19 years old to navigate and figure out what they want to do uh, post-SPM. Then we have our BTAR scholarship or the Biasiswa Tunku Abdul Rahman, where we provide full scholarship to students, about 20 to 25 a year. And alongside this program, we also include a two-year leadership training program that focuses on three things with our students. Number one, mindsets, the ethics and the values. How do you have the right values and the right mindset to thrive in university, but also to thrive in society later on? Number two is community leadership. What you have learned all these skills and you have gotten the scholarship that benefited you, but your own experience, especially as underrepresented students, you of all people know the best about the need of your community. What are you going to do to support your community? And lastly is employability. Um, at the university level, it's also about giving them, giving them the skills so that they can thrive in the career of their choice uh, after they graduate from university. Mm. So this is how these two sort of interlink, right? So now we've gone beyond just working on an individual level to help students gain what they need in order to succeed at a higher education level. We now also want to work within the scholarship system to change the way scholarship is being given so that we can move away from a merits-based scholarship to something more holistic. And then you can now empower more students from the same background to not only then become better versions of themselves because we always look at it from a very charity perspective of like I give you money so then you can go to university mm. oh that's so great but we think that that's not enough you don't shouldn't see it as charity it's an opportunity to develop them to use their unique experience as well from their own background to then give back to the country mm. yeah how the programs, the two-year program, you, you say that it is sort of like a pre-U mm. kind of program, right? Um, are they are these programs free mm. for the students? Yeah, it is. So it's all 100% free. Right. So late last year, uh, almost 72% of uh, SPM graduates show that they have no interest mm. in pursuing mm. higher education and they want to become, you know, uh, influencers or gig workers instead because some of them believe that good results do not equal to good career paths, yeah. right? Is this problem, is this a problem of university accessibility or is there what is the problem or the factors that push them towards that kind of mindset mm. right now? Um, the way I, I see the response is that this is a response to a lack of faith. It's this idea that you have told me that if I do really well in school, I will get into a good university and therefore I'll get a good job. That's a wrong narrative to tell. Because it's like, if I've been getting a four-flat GPC, GPA in university, but I'm coming out, I'm still unemployed after two years, what's the point? And I think what we need to navigate and move away is two things. So number one is how do you prepare students for uh, the workforce, right? But I think the second part that we also need to look at is from the lens of privilege, right? So who can afford 
to start a business after Form 5. And whether or not you have the safety net, say safety net if that fails. And so a lot of research still shows that higher education nonetheless is still currently uh, the best way to allow social mobility for students who may not, who may come from lower income backgrounds. So then the question then of education also is that what is the meaning of education? If education, is education just about guaranteeing a job? Or is there also something deeper about what higher education and what education in general serves? Do we want to just create a society where people just have jobs? Or do we also want a, a society of people can meaningfully think about their role within society? And I think that's what higher education can still serve. So an argument, for example, a lot of people make that I don't quite disagree is that Malaysia needs to focus more on STEM. STEM is great. But STEM in and of itself is not enough. There is a reason why in America and many parts of the world, there's a shift towards STEAM, or the idea that you need to focus on the arts. And when we say arts, we don't mean business or marketing. It's this idea of critically thinking and navigating through spaces around what is the right values for society. Um, I think these are the sort of deeper level education spaces still lacking in Malaysia. And I think it is conti continuously growing. And I'm seeing a lot of higher education institutions trying to do that a bit more. So I guess to sum it up, number one is this employment is something that's different from higher education. Higher education pays a part, but it's not the only part. Two is we need to be careful about when we have this conversation about whether or not higher education is relevant because your ability to take the risks of not having higher education really much depends on the privilege that you have and the, so the, the financial security that you have. And lastly, what's the broader meaning of education, to be honest? Is it really just to produce people to, take, to get jobs and earn money? Mm. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about, you know, are there any challenges that you faced mm. running the organization? Mm. Uh, yeah, I think at the early stages, I think one of the toughest bit is, I guess, just convincing people that it works. Uh, you don't really have the evidence just yet, especially in the first year. Uh, like I've mentioned, we are a longer term program. So after one year, we don't really have the data to back it up of what we want to do, right? And the investment that was put into our program is not, not even close to a million so far for five years of or five batches of students. But in the past, we didn't have that number. But to another problem or rather challenge that we had was that it can be quite a lonely journey. Uh, you, you are HR, you are fundraising, you are BD, you are finance, and you are program delivery. But I would say currently how that, that challenge has, has evolved for me is how do you build credibility when you are just you just turned 30 and you're a woman and I don't know how many and my team is also really young like I'm already one of the oldest uh, in the team and and my team does incredible things but then when we go into countless meetings before and people are shocked by how we look and they're like oh I didn't expect you to look this way and I think when people say I don't expect you to look this way a lot of times there is an underlying meaning behind it is that I didn't think young people could do this so I think a lot of times that plays in your head too oh you have imposter syndrome of oh do I do I belong Am I doing the right thing? Uh, every day is a new battle. Uh, or try to figure out, oh, yes, that I, I belong here. My team belongs here and we're doing good work. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, I think, you know, there are so many problems, right, of, of moving to higher education. Mm. Will all these problems be resolved if university was mm. free? Mm. Mm. Uh, I would like to think that a f like free university access would be great, but I don't know what the economic implication is that <laughs> of making universities free in Malaysia. But what I can say is this. Um, number one, public university is 
fairly affordable. Not affordable for many students who come from really low-income backgrounds, that's still true, but it's still fairly affordable compared to what university costs in many, many, many parts of the world, right? Um, so I think that's important. Uh, number two is people shouldn't see university education as the only way forward. And I think it's funny coming from me because I'm in, in the role of encouraging students to go into higher education. But what we also believe in is that higher edu- education needs to be diverse, meaning that you need to be able to figure out what is that path for yourself. If this means going to university, then great. Let's figure out a way for universities especially to make it more accessible for students. Is this making university free? Is this making universities free specific for students from certain backgrounds? Sure, go ahead. But the broader conversations also, how do we make uh, options like vocational school, alternative pathways, um, even directly going to business, if really that's something that we want to look at for a lot of students, right? We need to make diverse pathways just as viable for our students, because I don't think it's sustainable for us to assume every student will be able to go into university with limited spots in Malaysia. It should be normalized as to like, after you graduate, you seek for a job. It doesn't feel like they are lesser yeah. than people who continue to pursue higher education. I think for us fundamentally, what we're trying to say is that what matters in the end is choice. Are students making informed choices about their lives? Are you working because you want to or do you feel that that's the only option you have? Are you going to university to pursue medicine because there's something you want or is it because your community told you you must do this? And at the end of the day, really closing the gap is about that. How do you provide students with the privilege of options and to be able to make informed choices so that they live their best life, not our best lives? Yeah. On that note, thank you so much for spending time with me, Aida. Right, I've been speaking to Aida Tian, the co-founder of Closing the Gap Malaysia and acting CEO of Tunku Abdul Rahman Foundation. If you miss any part of this show, you can go ahead on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to download the full conversation. I'm Lily Chai and this has been Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.